G'day everyone. G'day. Uh, my name is Andrew and it's great to be here this morning. Uh, and it's great to have already completed the hardest part of preaching, which was uh, ironing my shirt this morning. So that's, that's all done. Uh, and uh, if you're wondering what I've been up to, I've now finished my theological studies and I'm just giving my wife uh, a chance to complete her training as a GP uh, whilst I look after our two kids, Anastasia and Barnabas. Uh, and like most blokes, I thought, you know, this is going to be a walk in the park. Uh, but I've since found out that it's actually quite hard to go for a walk in the park, uh, especially when you forget the nappy bag, like I did on Wednesday. Uh, but I'll spare you the details, um, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into the Word. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning to worship you. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who not only spoke in the past, but who speaks uh, in the present through your word. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us now through your word, that it would be a living word. Uh, And Lord, we pray that it would become uh, alive in our hearts um, and that we would do with it what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. My dad uh, recently moved suburb and it didn't take him long to find out that his neighbour on one side of the fence uh, had had a beer on his front lawn every week, twice a week, for the past 30 years, uh, and all the neighbours are invited to BYO a beer and a chair uh, and come along for a chat. And so my dad thought, brilliant, uh, what a great opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, so he went along rather enthusiastically, and he even took along a couple of extra beers just to make sure that they'd be receptive. Uh, so if you're looking for an evangelistic strategy, maybe, maybe you could try that one. Uh, but the first thing that the guy said was, I'm convinced that all the problems in this world are caused by religion. Uh, And then the next guy said, oh, I'm not interested in religion. I'm not afraid of dying. The only thing that scares me is waking up just before they cremate my body. Uh, I've just moved suburb myself, and so I was hoping and praying uh, for opportunities to to reach out to the neighbours. And so I was glad to find out that my neighbour on one side of me Uh, was keen for a chat over the fence. Uh, However, I quickly found out that he's a little bit too keen uh, for a chat over the fence. And every time I go in the backyard, he runs out uh, and talks to me about any topic uh, known to man for up to two hours at a time. Uh, And whenever I mention Christianity or the church, uh, he very quickly changes the topic uh, or he cleverly twists uh, what I'm saying. Uh, I've now been a Christian for nine years, and ever since becoming a Christian, I've been praying for one of my uh, non-Christian mates uh, to become a Christian. Uh, And we used to have great conversations about Jesus and God and how Christianity is different to all the other religions. Uh, And I was even able to bring him along to a couple of uh, Christian events, like John Dixon. Uh, However, I've noticed that over the years, uh, he's becoming uh, less and less uh, receptive Uh, two conversations about Christianity, and now he just avoids uh, them altogether. Uh, My background is accounting, uh, and so whenever anybody used to ask me, what do you do? And I said, I study in accounting. Uh, It was always hilarious, because you could always uh, see the look on their face. Oh no, what a boring person. Uh, What are we going to talk about now? Uh, how, How do I get out of this conversation? Uh, But since working for the church and then uh, going to Bible college, uh, the conversations were usually even shorter. Just like 
uh, just like an old school friend that I bumped into, and he said, what are you up to? And then he quickly said, and how's your tennis going? Or a guy who I met at the tennis club who said to me, just tell me that you don't go to that horrible Presbyterian church, do you? Uh, I've done walk-up evangelism in the past in Hobart and experienced opposition to the gospel there, and more recently, uh, disinterest from adults uh, at the kids' playground. Uh, I've seen David G. preach in the mall, as as many of you probably have as well, Uh, and not only heckled by the crowd, but even taken off by the police to the police station. Uh, And I've seen the countless abuse that Christians are receiving for simply posting uh, biblical truths online. Uh, I myself have been told that I do not deserve to have an opinion because I'm a Christian. Uh, And I even got a private inbox uh, from an old school friend uh, telling me that he hopes that I'll be martyred one day. Thanks Thanks very much. Uh, Well, you just have to turn on the TV uh, or open the newspaper and you can see that there's a growing opposition to Christianity, isn't there? With people accusing us of all kinds of things, especially hatred Uh, and bigotry. People are calling for the scrapping of Christianity from schools. Uh, People are trying to uh, force our kids to undertake these radical sexual ideology programs that are inconsistent uh, with our faith. Uh, And others are calling for the deregistering of all Christian charities as they claim that they uh, promote a message that is not in the public's interest. Whether we like it or not, there is a growing opposition in Australia and in Hobart, to God, to Jesus, to the Bible, to church. So the vital question that we must answer as a church is how do we respond to this growing opposition? Should we just uh, remain silent and stop voicing our opinions so that we don't upset anyone? Uh, Should we stop advocating for pro-life and pro-family policies? Should we stop trying to share the gospel with our neighbours or uh, remove our social media accounts, stop buying secular newspapers uh, or remove our kids uh, from school so that they can be more protected at home? Uh, Or perhaps, here's an idea, uh, maybe we should go and create an exclusive Christian-only community uh, where we have our own jobs and schools and and doctors and hospitals and cafes. Uh, We could take over the Huon Valley, perhaps. Uh, They already have apples and cherries and raspberries, so it's a bit like the Garden of Eden. Uh, And get this, it's covered by a cloud half the year, so it's a bit like God's presence in the cloud (laughs) over the temple. It's perfect. Well, today's passage tells us exactly how we should respond to modern-day opposition to the gospel. Uh, And we see here that there are three ways that we should respond, three things that we need to do, not individually, uh, but together as a church. So how should we respond to opposition? Well, firstly, we need to keep fellowshipping. We need to keep fellowshipping. Uh, Now, just to quickly fill you in on what has happened so far in Acts chapter 4, so Peter and John, they went down to the street and they were sharing the gospel, uh, and then the Jewish leaders come along. And they seize Peter and John and they threaten them, stop talking about Jesus. Uh, But um, Peter and John, they respond, sorry, uh, but not sorry, Uh, we can't help but talking about all that we've seen and heard. Uh, And the Jewish leaders, not sure what to do because the crowd were also amazed because they healed uh, an old crippled bloke. 
so they decide to release Peter and John after a few more threats. And so what's the first thing that they do once they're released? What would you have done? Well, let's have a look. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So what did Peter and John do? Uh, Did they throw in the towel and say, we're not going to evangelise anymore because Christianity is just too hard? Uh, Or did they go home and freak out because of the possible repercussions uh, for their actions, such as losing their job or being disliked by others? Uh, Or did they go home and call their pastor or text a Christian friend or update their blog? No, what they did is they went to church. They went and met up with their brothers and sisters in Christ and they shared what happened and they prayed about it. They fellowshiped. Why? Because Peter and John knew that the mission of growing God's kingdom through being his witnesses is not an individual mission. It's not something that we're meant to do by ourselves, but it's the church's mission. It's something we are called to do together. You see, if you try and be all macho and go alone, as some Christians do, and who don't think they need to be a part of church, uh, then you'll be quickly uh, picked off by those who oppose you. You'll quickly feel isolated, quickly become discouraged, and all too quickly give up because you can't do it alone. No one can. We cannot live the Christian life and the kingdom life alone. We all need the support of others and a community of fellow believers. We need fellowship, and especially in the face of growing opposition. Now, I don't know about you, but I go to uh, Soul Church on Sunday nights, and I usually leave feeling really encouraged and inspired by the sermon uh, and ready to live for Jesus in the coming week. Uh, However, something happens uh, overnight, and I wake up Monday morning, and I've already forgotten half the sermon. Uh, And then by Tuesday morning, I wake up, and I'm starting to think about worldly things again, like an upcoming holiday. And I'm starting to feel a bit uh, discouraged, often by the anti-Christian news that I've been reading. Uh, And then by Wednesday, I've totally forgotten what I was inspired to do uh, from the sermon on Sunday. Uh, But thankfully, there's a Wednesday morning prayer meeting, uh, which gets me back on track in praying that God's kingdom would come in Hobart. Uh, And then Wednesday night, uh, we have growth group at my house, and I'm always encouraged uh, by hearing how my other brothers and sisters are trying to live for Jesus in their areas of life. Uh, And then every second Friday I have discipleship and then it's Sunday again. Uh, So what's my point? My point is that I need regular fellowship if I'm to remain strong in the faith and strong in sharing the faith. And when there is growing opposition like there is in Australia, then you and I need even more fellowship. Uh, Now do I always look forward to fellowshipping? Uh, Do I look forward to waking up at 6.15am for prayer meeting on Wednesdays? Uh, No, often I don't. Uh, Often I'm tired and it's hard because uh, I often have to bring my two-year-old along as well. Uh, And I'm an introvert, not an extrovert, so I can get a little anxious uh, before fellowshipping, especially walking up these stairs today and and seeing how many of you there are. Um, But I tell you, it's so worth it. Uh, And I never, ever regret fellowshipping because I know that I need it. 
So how about you? How are you going? Are you uh, regularly fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ? I encourage you to take up all the opportunities you can do. You can to do so. Come to church uh, every Sunday rather than every second Sunday. Uh, join a Bible study. Uh, come to the prayer meetings. Uh, Cornerstone have a prayer meeting, I believe, before church every Sunday. Uh, and they also have a combined prayer meeting on Wednesday mornings with Mount Stewart and Soul Church. Uh, and just on the side, John Jansen, uh, he goes along and he's currently shouting about four to five flat whites after the prayer meeting every Wednesday. Uh, but I would love to see him have to shout a hundred coffees every Wednesday. He would go broke very quickly and it would be wonderful to see him. Uh, and, and catch up with someone for a coffee uh, or lunch or you can just go for a walk uh, together during the week and you can read a chapter of the Bible or a Christian book or you can just, just chat or you can pray together. Prioritise fellowshipping in your week. Every day, if possible, that's what the, uh, the early church did. Uh, not because you have to, uh, not because you feel guilty about it, uh, but because you need it if you're to remain strong uh, for Jesus. There's a direct correlation between fellowshipping uh, and the strength of a person's faith and their ability to withstand opposition. Uh, you go to any persecuted church in the world uh, and you'll see that one of their highest priorities is fellowshipping. Why? Because that's how God's designed it. He's created the church. He saves us into the church so that we can fellowship, so that we can share and pray for and support one another. So that's my first point. We need to keep fellowshipping. Uh, how else should we respond to growing opposition? Uh, secondly, we need to remember God's sovereignty. Remember God's sovereignty. Uh, so Peter and John, they fellowship with their own people. They share and they pray. But what do they pray about? Uh, well, the first word gives it away. Have a look at the start of their prayer in verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Uh, and this is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. In verse 24, they remind themselves that God is sovereign, as seen in him creating the universe. Uh, in verses 25 and 26, they remind themselves that God is sovereign, as seen in him knowing the future and predicting through King David that this opposition would come to Christ and to his followers. Uh, and then in verses 27 and 28, they remind themselves that God is sovereign and that he will use all opposition according to his good purpose and will, uh, which is seen no more clearly uh, in, in, in him using the death of his son, Jesus Christ, which is the worst opposition that could ever happen. Uh, he uses that to save the world. It's incredible. Uh, which is why David says in verse 25 that anyone who opposes Jesus actually plots in vain because God will use, sovereignly use their opposition to bring about his will. Uh, so in short, they remind themselves that God is sovereign. 
Why? Because if God created all things, if God knows all things, if God is in control of all things, and if God uses all things for good and to grow his kingdom, then we will not be discouraged or lose heart when opposition occurs. When people call you a hater or a bigot, uh, when people reject you or avoid you because you're a Christian, and when people are resistant to the gospel, uh, you should not be discouraged because God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows about it and he will even use their opposition somehow for good. It's, it's no obstacle to him. Now, in practice, what this means is that you cannot fail. When you stuff up sharing the gospel or stuff up modelling the gospel, God will use it to bring about his sovereign will. Even if it feels like you're just turning people further away uh, from Jesus and that you should just uh, give up. Uh, when I used to work at Woolworths, I tried really hard to be a good witness to my colleagues and I would pray uh, for many of them and for opportunities before work. Uh, however, I think most of the time they just thought that I was a religious nut uh, and who was out of touch with the modern world. Uh, and whenever I made the smallest mistake, my atheist boss would always say, Andrew, I thought you were a Christian. Uh, I even ended up at a colleague's house for his birthday party uh, and he was a scary looking tattoo artist actually. Uh, And in response to me sharing the gospel, uh, he mockingly uh, blew smoke in my face and said that he was uh, smoking weed to the glory of God. Uh, My efforts often seem fruitless, uh, and I was tempted to give up. But God is sovereign. God uh, will use all of these encounters according to his sovereign will to bring about his good purposes. I don't know how, uh, and I may never see the fruit, Uh, But that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. I'll leave that with God. So how should we respond to gospel opposition? Well, like Peter and John, we need to keep fellowshipping. We need to remember God's sovereignty. And thirdly and lastly, the most important point, we need to pray for boldness. Look at the church's prayer in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now let's be honest, Uh, it's very easy for us to catch up with each other and to share and pray about what's going on in our lives. Uh, And it's very easy as well to remember God's sovereignty and to find comfort in that. Uh, But we often forget to do the third step, uh, which is to pray for boldness in sharing the gospel despite opposition. In fact, I reckon that this is one of the most forgotten uh, and neglected prayers of the modern church, or at least the Western church. Uh, And I reckon it's one of the main reasons that we feel so weak and powerless in evangelism uh, and even fearful of evangelising because we aren't praying together for boldness as a church. When was the last time uh, that you prayed, uh, either in a prayer meeting or in a growth group or another church meeting, uh, for boldness to evangelise? Paul and John, they didn't go to their individual homes and pray all alone for boldness, but they prayed for boldness with their church family. You see, the church doesn't just need a few individuals filled with boldness uh, to evangelise, but it needs all of us. We all need to be filled with boldness uh, if we're going to reach 
Hobart. Think about it practically. The average Facebook user has 338 friends. Uh, Now, whether you have Facebook or not, I don't, uh, what that means is that on average, we all know around about 338 people uh, who we may not be close friends with, but who we would at least stop and have a chat with uh, on the street. Uh, Which means that Cornerstone Church, which has about 150 people, uh, is currently witnessing, in some capacity, to 50,000 people. Uh, And that doesn't include your neighbours or work colleagues or other people you rub shoulders with at work or in the community or who are friends of friends or family friends or weirdos that you know that you wouldn't add on Facebook like the person sitting next to you. Um, And so you could easily double that figure, which means that as a church... Uh, we're currently witnessing in some capacity to approximately 100,000 people uh, or half of Hobart. Uh, Now, I know there's a little bit of overlap. I get that. Uh, But with that kind of reach, can you imagine what would happen if we were all filled with boldness to evangelise these people? The reality is that we are all either growing in boldness or in coldness. There is in sharing the faith. There's, there's no middle ground. Either we are progressively becoming more bold as a church in sharing our faith or we're becoming increasingly cold in sharing our faith. What best describes you? Uh, what best describes Cornerstone Church? Are you becoming bold or are you becoming increasingly cold uh, and just worried about filling rosters and announcements going for too long? I know, they do, they do. Uh, We need to pray for boldness together. We need to be meeting together to pray for boldness regularly, multiple times a week. Will we do this? Uh, Or will we continue down the pathway of feeling weak and powerless and unfulfilled because we're not sharing the faith? Uh, I met a Chinese lady at Bible College in Sydney and she goes out every week with her daughter to Darling Harbour Uh, to share the gospel. Uh, Now, her English is not great, uh, and I went out with her once, uh, and it was not impressive by any means. Uh, In fact, it was incredibly, incredibly awkward, uh, and I had sweat patches, like, all over. Um, And so I said to her afterwards, why do you do it? Uh, And she said, I do it for myself, uh, because when I share the gospel, it reminds me of the truth of the gospel, uh, and in evangelising, I need to rely on God, and so it strengthens my faith. So I need to evangelise. Now, I'm not asking you to do what she does. Uh, And this passage isn't asking you to do what she does. All that God is asking you to do is to pray for boldness as a church. That's all. In fact, I reckon we probably can't do, many of us can't do what she does, because we first need to pray for boldness and let the Holy Spirit fill us uh, and to give us Uh, the desire to share the gospel with boldness. Now, I just want to really quickly address three important asides, and then we're done. Uh, So firstly, you probably notice in this passage in verse 30, uh, it says that they also ask God to perform miraculous signs to accompany the word. And I just want to say that whilst the apostles were especially gifted in healing, uh, this prayer is being prayed by ordinary believers. Uh, And so my conclusion is that it's perfectly normal, uh, in fact important, that as well as sharing the word, we also pray uh, that God miraculously heals or uses any means possible 
uh, to accompany the gospel and bring someone to him. Uh, I said to a surfing mate of mine once who I was praying for, I said, mate, uh, you don't know when you're going to die. It could be the next time you go surfing, so you need to repent and be right with God. And the next time he went surfing, there was a massive shark. Uh, And so God sovereignly orchestrated this to challenge him and to make him think seriously about the word that I'd spoken to him. Uh, And I believe that the ascended Jesus is ready to do whatever it takes to bring someone to him, whether it's uh, through the word, which is the norm, or through miracles, or through both. Uh, But what we know is that God won't do any of it unless we pray. Our prayers change the future. Our prayers change God's actions in this world. Is there any greater uh, incentive to pray than that? Uh, Secondly, in verse 31, it says that the room where they were meeting was shaken. Uh, Now, this upper room was not on dodgy stilts or anything like that, uh, but there was an earthquake right after they prayed. Now, was this just a random earthquake? Not at all. Uh, This is what scholars like to call a theophany, uh, which is just a fancy Greek word that makes them feel smart and makes me feel smart. Uh, But it just means that God appears or God rocked up. Just like when when Moses was about to go up the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, and God descends on the mountain and it's uh, trembling and shaking violently, uh, in the same way, there is a visible manifestation of God uh, to show the believers here that he is with them, that he approves of them, and he approves of their prayer request for boldness. He wants them and us to pray for boldness to share the gospel. Uh, And then finally we read that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. Uh, But hang on, uh, weren't they already filled with the Holy Spirit when they first uh, believed and when they were in this upper room on the day of Pentecost. Yes, they were. Uh, So what does this mean? It means that we can be filled uh, further with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Or said another way, if that makes some of you feel uncomfortable, uh, the Holy Spirit that we already have can get more of us. And we read here... Well, in fact, this is the third time uh, that Peter was... It says in Acts that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's only chapter 4. Uh, now, I've been a Christian uh, for nine years, as I said, uh, which means that I've had the Holy Spirit for nine years. Uh, but often I still feel so weak and scared in evangelism, uh, and often I'm even scared of the word evangelism. Uh, how can this be? Because whilst I have the Holy Spirit, I need more of the Spirit to take away my fear of people Uh, my fear of failure and rejection, uh, and to give me a greater joy in the gospel and in sharing the gospel with others. And we read here that if I pray for boldness, if we pray for boldness, then we will receive more of the Spirit. And so the real question is, do you want more of the Spirit? Do you want to experience God's supernatural power at work in your life and conversations? then pray for boldness. But don't go home and pray for it by yourself. We don't only do that, but pray for it together with your church, in a Bible study, in discipleship, uh, at a church event. Uh, And most obviously, come uh, and pray for boldness in one of the prayer meetings. That's what they're for. What uh, higher calling or priority do we have uh, than to pray? 
You see, it's when the church is gathered together and is praying together where Jesus is so powerfully present and at work. A well-known pastor was asked at the end of his life after a seemingly hugely successful ministry, if you could do it all again, what would you do differently? And he said, I would do less and pray more. Let's not say that at the end of our lives. So to sum up, how should we respond to growing opposition of Jesus and Christianity in Hobart in 2018? How should you respond this week when your colleague or family member or friend or the media rips into you for being a Christian or for trying to share or model the gospel? Well, firstly, keep fellowshipping. Secondly, remember God's sovereignty. And thirdly, pray for boldness. And if we do these three things together, then we'll be stronger, bolder, and more courageous as a church in sharing the gospel and in seeing Jesus' kingdom grow in Hobart. Uh, Well, I thought it would only be appropriate to finish by joining in with our first century brothers and sisters from Acts who prayed this prayer uh, and who are now in glory with Jesus uh, by praying verses 29 and 30 together. So if you got your Bibles, or I think we might have it on the screen. Do we have it on the, on the screen? No? Okay, if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 4, and we're going to pray verse 29 and 30 together. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Amen.